0: Welcome to Behind the Headlines, the weekly silicauganews.com podcast, where we take you behind the stories we tell and report here at silicauganews.com. I'm your host, Michael Brandon. On today's show, we are handing things off to Lee Perryman, who is sitting down with State Attorney General Steve Marshall, talking about everything from challenging federal COVID vaccine mandates to congressional redistricting lawsuits and even efforts to help combat defunding the police. All very hot topics and very important ones as well as we enter that conversation here in just a few moments on Behind the Headlines. Stay with
1: us. Ever feel like you're missing from your own life just because you always have to run off to the bathroom? Those days are over. Be the star of your own life again with BTL Amsela. To learn more about mcela treatments and how they can help you, visit ChildersburgClinic.com.
0: People tell our tellers, lenders and representatives, they see us at events happening in your community all the time. There's a reason for that. With more than 450 volunteer hours every year, our team is dedicated to knowing you and what matters most. Heritage South Credit Union is your community credit union. Find out why more and more people are becoming members at myhscu.com. Heritage South Credit Union. Federally insured by NCUA. An equal housing lender.
2: honored to be visiting with Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall. Marshall was sworn in as Alabama's 48th Attorney General on February 10th, 2017, and he's the state's chief law enforcement officer. Prior to taking office, he was district attorney in Marshall County for 16 years. If re-elected as Attorney General and he completes his second term, he'll be the second longest serving Attorney General in Alabama history and the longest serving Attorney General since the Civil War. First, Steve, is the job what you expected and what motivates you? The
3: tension that the AGs get a chance to resolve, which is what occurs between the federal government and state governments. You know, that's sort of the beauty that we talk about of federalism and the 10th Amendment. And I think the true surprise of the job is the fact that we have an opportunity in the role as states attorneys general to play on a broader scale. And so it's what, frankly, excites me every day to be able to come to work, knowing the opportunities that were given to be able to be the voice for the people of Alabama. But yet if you'd had told me five years ago when I walked into the job that this would be a significant portion of my day, I would have told you I had no idea.
2: Well, well as Alabamians and as Americans from a law enforcement perspective, what should make us proud these days and what should, what should worry us the most?
3: I'll start with the latter first. I think, I think violent crime is a significant issue in this country Um, and you combine that with what has been a profound narrative over the last couple of years of defund the police of really the efforts to undermine the validity and the significance of the work of law enforcement in keeping our community safe um, that's troubling and I think it is reflected not only in what has occurred with regard to the, the historic murder rates that are occurring across the country. But also, uh, I saw a statistic that said we've had, I think, 75 law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty during President Biden's first year, which is the most ever uh, of a similar period. And, and I think that is traced as well. To what we've seen go on in the narrative not necessarily here in alabama but a little bit um, but on a national scale of of really a pushback against the role of law enforcement in our communities i think that's really sad um from the standpoint of what i think is good i really think that i've seen and, and recently i mean look let's face it we saw in the state of the union speech a narrative from the president far different than what we've heard from the party And so one of the things that I am want to chalk that up to is that politically they now see they're on the wrong side of the issue. And maybe what has occurred is really a profound rebound for many in being able to stand up and speak on behalf of the men and women who serve us every day. And so my hope is that maybe there's a renewed understanding of the fact that law enforcement needs to be in those communities that need to be served. And I think one of the things that the left does poorly is advocate against the very interests of the people they claim to to be there uh, to advocate for. And so I think my hope and what I, I at least am going to hold on to is that whatever um, occurred in this country to cause us to allow that pendulum to swing what I think was profoundly the wrong way is that we've now reached the apex of that discussion and that hopefully it is coming back uh, a different direction um, because we need the men and women of law enforcement every day to be serving us We need them to understand that their profession matters and we need to support and compensate them to make sure that we
2: have the best of the best serving in those positions we know of course that you're running for re-election but that's not the point of today's conversation we want to focus on the remaining time we have on what you and your team have done in the last five years in particular i note that you've won on behalf of the state of alabama five lawsuits challenging the biden administration's COVID vaccine mandates a lawsuit against the president's ban on state tax cuts and a supreme court victory regarding congressional redistricting. Uh what other than these or including these do you consider your major accomplishments? Oh, I think I think those have have
3: clearly been the, the focus recently and and, and if you'd ask me what was the transcendent among all of those, I think it's in in our recent uh obtaining of the stay from the supreme court to allow for the congressional districts that have gone back to the 1990s that are historic lines for Alabama. To remain in play during the the 2022 election cycle but you know all of those things that you identified sometimes people get caught up into the very specifics for example let's take the vaccine mandate litigation Um, probably the most uh, number of constituent calls by far has been those complaining about what president biden has done in his administration with regard to these vaccine mandates and remember this was the spectrum from federal employees, to federal contractors, to Head Start programs, to workplaces over 100, uh, and then with our healthcare workers. So, I mean, it was in multiple disciplines that this administration attempted to impose that mandate. But the fight is much bigger than that for me, because really, and I spoke to this earlier when I talked to you about kind of what has been the learning curve for me as AG, is understanding that we are that line of defense in standing up for the sovereignty of Alabama. You know, there's I tell people all the time that it's important to remind the federal government that the states form them and not the other way around. And so you you take, for example, the, the OSHA rule that was a temporary rule that would have applied to employers of 100 or more. It's important for us to stand up against that because, number one, it was unlawful and we appreciate the fact the Supreme Court agreed with us in a decision that was rendered here roughly a month ago. But it also is is drawing that line in the sand to be able to say there's only so far that a regulatory agency can go within the confines that Congress has established through the statutes giving them their duties and responsibilities control the everyday lives of, of for us, Alabamians. And so while each of those mandate cases was important for the very specific reason in which it was filed. It's also much broader than that, is that we have a federal government that's by the constitution should serve with limited powers and limited roles. And if you look historically, for example, inoculation regimes or the determination of who and when gets vaccinated, has always been the province of the state, as well as public health decisions are generally made uh, at the state level and not the federal level. And so. Each of these cases was really sort of standing for that fundamental proposition that there is a box in which the federal government's powers are exercised and that when they exceed those, it's important for us to stand up because the question is going to be what's next. You know, what will be the next issue that will define or crisis that will define an administration that tries to exercise federal authority too far and so. We're very pleased you know we were able to win four of the five vaccine excuse me three of the four cases that we filed on those the healthcare worker we now have got an additional request for the fifth circuit along with many other states uh, particularly when you look at the current data on the pandemic and why no longer do we need to require the vaccination for those healthcare care workers um, but they're going to continue to be battles and fights that come forward and we're going to be able to, as long as I'm a G, stand in, in the line to be able to exercise our right to allow Alabama to make those determinations.
2: You've also had some successes uh, in uh, supporting, as you mentioned earlier, the the uh, law enforcement national efforts to defund police, the uh, uh, efforts in Alabama to weaken tough sentencing laws and pardons, and and human trafficking and big tech. I mean, what what are your other remaining priorities? I
3: think you've covered. Uh, you
2: know, those are big,
3: big big, big areas for us, you know, and each of them kind of fall, you sort of you define broadly what I think I need to do. And that is sort of, we come with a mantra every day that my job is to help keep Alabamians safe. And then second is that I need to be defending Alabama sovereignty. And so from the, the, really the public safety side, You know, the attorney general's office is not the one that is out there routinely prosecuting the cases at the local level. That's with the DAs, and they do a remarkable job in our state with the work that they've been given. But I need to be able to supplement that and continue to be that voice for law enforcement. And to the extent there needs to be a voice pushing back against the legislature, then then that's the role that I need to be able to play. And particularly lately, you know, we see uh, discussions that, that want to hamper what I think is now a proper functioning parole board you know we led the charge I guess back in 2019 when we had a parole board that did not view their fundamental role as to ensure public safety that that we were able to restructure and reorganize what they were doing and now we continue to see that they are making good decisions and that's critically important when we understand that a little bit over 80 percent of our current inmate population the Department of Corrections are there for violent offenses which means that if you're evaluating those individuals we're not looking at people, in the left would argue, are misdemeanor marijuana possession cases. They're not. Typically, they're not nonviolent offenders are the ones that are coming forward. Many of those what we call end of sentence or EOS through good time credit long before they ever get up for parole. Um, but they're mostly violent offenders that are there. And, and the reality is that we're better off when they're not on the streets. And so we're going to continue to push back against the legislature's efforts if it is uh, to be able to remedy that. And then the other thing it kind of is an overlay there that you didn't mention. I think it's important is the work that we're doing on the litigation involving our prison system. You know, the Department of Justice has filed claiming systemic violations within every one of our male facilities. So, for example, one of the things they look at are the issue of inmate suicide, which is obviously important. I think you know, I don't need to tell you that the, the issue of suicide is something that's personally important to me. But yet, the word systemic is tossed around way too loosely, I think, in in society today. And so as a factual matter, a majority of the men's facilities have never had a suicide in the last five years. And so if you're looking at constitutional deprivations and they want to argue systemic violations, then the reality is the facts need to meet what allegations you're making. And if they're not... Then, as attorney general, as a lawyer for the state, I need to push back against those.
2: And are those are those assertions uh, party based, or is it? Well, is I it mean, focused?
3: obviously, it's coming from the Department of Justice itself, and and so you know we've had them, uh, as a result of orders from the court, have to amend their complaint three different times to refile because the allegations they were attempting to make across the system as a whole were just simply not adequate. Um, but when we're fighting that case, some of it has to not only do with the issue of is there liability, but also those cases are about the remedy or what is it that we do to resolve any violations a court may determine. And this Department of Justice would want to impose a consent decree on Alabama. You know, one of the things that people I don't think uh, picked up on enough during the, the tenure of Jeff Sessions as the United States Attorney General is he issued a memorandum that said consent decrees, and this is really a document that gives control over a state system or entity to a third party, that being a monitor and to the courts. Uh, Justice, uh, Attorney General Sessions said those are disfavored and they should be only used in limited circumstances. Because he saw the fact that they end up being a bureaucratic morass where third party monitors and others were making significant amounts of dollars, but yet you didn't see significant gains in the system that they were supposedly there to help remedy. And so one of the discussions that I've been very firm about with the Department of Justice is we're not going to accept a consent decree because I'm not gonna give the keys to the Alabama general fund to people that otherwise aren't accountable to the voters and to be able to impose a remedy that's far broader than whatever uh, the court may, may ultimately find. And so kind of tell people a little bit like this, that you can have a car wreck case where somebody hits somebody from behind. The challenge you know, in defending that, if you're the lawyer represented, maybe to say that your client isn't liable, number one, But also, it can be that the person is claiming more damages or more dollars than they're entitled to. And and our efforts in this prison litigation really is kind of arguing both. Is that you've overstated your case and that you clearly are asking for a remedy that's broader than what you need. And so, if if I sort of want to sort of highlight a case that I think is probably not being discussed from the pure legal standpoint as much, uh, it's our efforts in that right now and fighting on behalf of Alabama to make sure that we do what any litigant does is advance the interests of their client, be responsible about the arguments that are made, and try to find a remedy that makes sense.
2: And it is a binary condition. A lot of people try to try to pretend that there are multiple ways. It looks to me like you're remaining focused on making sure that you're following the rules, that you're following the law.
3: Absolutely, and, and I think to the extent that, that you sort of look at our tenure, um, been sort of a rule of law guy I mean I'm there to call balls and strikes I'm not there to you know with regard to the responsibilities given to me to make decisions about whether it's something I ignore or something that I enforce and I'll give you an example Um, you know the legislature several years ago uh, established a law relating to uh, historic monuments so the renaming of historic buildings or streets and said that if in fact a municipality or a county or an entity is in violation of that law. It's the attorney general's responsibility to enforce it and collect a $25,000 fine. Like it or not, there's a law. Exactly. And so, yeah, I get criticized anytime we have one of those cases, but recently we enforced it against the city of Montgomery who renamed a street after a remarkable leader for the civil rights movement. But the ability of the city to do that was confined by the law itself. And so uh, you, know, you can get criticized in my role as saying that, that I was against Mr. Gray, for example, which is not the case at all. He wrote me one of the most genuine letters I've received during my tenure as attorney general. But I have a job to do. And so when, when I sort of refer to myself as a rule of law guy, kind of goes back to my job as a prosecutor, you know, that I don't define the crimes, but it's my job to enforce them when they're before me and maybe it's one of the things that made pretty good training for me in the job that I'm in now is that that's a role that I'm very accustomed to. It's not questioning whether or not the law makes sense because the reality is that if each of us were given you know, the, the role of king or queen, we'd probably choose different laws if we could write them ourselves. But I don't get that opportunity, nor is it my role as an executive branch member, and particularly as attorney general, where the enforcement arm. That's why I have so much objection to what's going on with regard to immigration across the country I and mean, we have laws in place we need to enforce them and we simply you know have a narrative and a discussion about that issue across the country about whether or not we should just turn a blind eye the reality is the law did not give us that opportunity so that's a very long way of being able to say I need to enforce the law as it's written and do what my job requires me to do
2: looking ahead last question what do you see as your priorities for the next four years, uh, I think, if there's anything different?
3: Yeah, I don't know if it's anything different as much. You know, the one thing that we've not talked about, and I think it's going to be some good news that's going to be coming, is our efforts on the, the opioid front um, to be able to bring in resources to Alabama to help deal with um, the abatement or to try to help resolve some of the issues we're facing uh, in the state and nationally uh, with regard to overdose deaths and addiction. Um, so... That's an issue that I've been very passionate about, and I think we're going to see some good things moving into next term. And then I think it's continuing the work that that we've been doing to to make sure that whatever the issue may be at a national level when we see those violations of the Tenth Amendment, that we're there to be able to stand up for Alabama. Um, But then I'm never going to lose sight of that historic role of the AG as the top cop and gonna
2: make sure I stand up for the work of law enforcement. Great, well thank you for taking time to visit with us today and for taking time to come through Silicago. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Doing some home remodeling or backyard projects? A home equity line of credit from Heritage South Credit Union can help you get that project done in no time with a low application fee, low rates, and convenient access. Call 256-245-4776 today to speak to an expert about Heritage South Credit Union's home equity line of credit. Heritage South Credit Union, your community credit union. NMLS number 712492, equal housing lender, federally insured by NCUA. Ever feel like you're missing from your own life just because you always have to run off to the bathroom? Those days are over. star of your own life again with BTL Mcella. To learn more about Mcella treatments and how they can help you, visit ChildersburgClinic.com.
0: Our thanks to State Attorney General Steve Marshall for joining us on this episode of Behind the Headlines and to Lee Perryman for that interview. That does it for this episode of Behind the Headlines. I'm your host, Michael Brandon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Whether you've been listening on a podcast or online or even on the air, please be sure to share it with your friends and give us a five-star rating as well. We'll see you next time.